pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Lena. <laughs> I was trying so hard. Anyways, we're doing a promotion. It's our fourth episode. We're doing it. Just go and share stuff. What are you talking about tonight? <laughs> I can't do this. You guys are going to laugh at me the entire time I'm saying it. Why? Because I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are I talking about? What are we talking about tonight? I'm gonna, you guys, you guys start talking. I'm gonna make my memes, and we'll just give, we'll just go. We'll, All right. So we'll this look. episode's brought to you by the Passion Translation. <laughs> no, it's not. Matt Henry's been endorsed <laughs> and sponsored to push this real hard. We're gonna be handing out. We're gonna be. And that's no, part, and that's, is that not. Be, is that gonna be part of the promotion? No. I think it's part of the Passion no. Yeah, Faith and Fable mug. Yeah, Faith and Fable mug. And uh, the Passion Translation. In a, in a pocket, no. In a pocket Passion Translation. <laughs> there you go. The PP. Take it with you everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Fire starter. Fire starter. Oh, but seriously, I think it was like our fourth episode. Uh, we're doing this now, so um, go share our episodes, uh, write reviews, just get the word out. And so that if you like the content, um, hopefully other people will like it as well. You can share. That'd be great. Yeah. Much thanks. So uh, we are talking about today uh, Bible translations. Um, we get a fair amount of questions. I get a fair amount of questions. I'm sure you've gotten a fair amount of questions. Over the years, yeah. yeah. On, on just Bible translation, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes those questions involve the reliability of certain translations and how we can have confidence in translations. Or they get my look when I see the Bible they're using. And yeah. then they're like, what? And then you... And then I'm like, oh, here. you use that? And they're like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> yeah, it goes downhill from there. So, yeah. So, I mean, we have opinions about this. Well, we have strong opinions. Um, but, you know, so so people sometimes they will ask about just reliability, and, and that's really a separate topic. That involves something called textual criticism, which deserves its own episode and its own right. But uh, the most common question, I think, is just what one is the best translation? Um, you know, what's the most accurate, in other words, which one should I use? And so it's typically being asked, I think, because people want to make certain that they've got the most reliable Bible in their hands and that they can have confidence in it. So on the service, I, I think it's a good question. It's a reasonable question to ask. Um, and you're going to get all kinds of responses depending on the person that you're asking, uh, their history, their background, what Bible they've used, the one that they like to read. Um, but the problem, I think, with that question is it assumes too little. Um, there's a whole lot of things that go into Bible translation. Um, th there's a reason actually for why so many translations exist. Uh, but having said that, I would also argue that there's some translations that are completely unhelpful um, and that people should just stay away from entirely. But um, I'm not certain that I can always say there's the best translation. How about, how about a preferred translation? Sure. Or a better translation. Yeah. Um, so in order to answer the question or attempt to answer um, well, we're going to just take a little time to talk about something called translation theory. We're just going to, uh, well, maybe me a little bit, just kind of nerd out. I mean, this is a level of nerddom that uh, 
I'm not certain everyone is super interested in, but I'm just gonna, we're going to talk about translation theory and the fact that there's actually purposes and goals behind why certain translation committees make uh, various decisions, uh, their philosophy behind translation, um, and, and that is most of them have a target audience in mind. Um, that's going to dictate how and why they choose choose the translation that they do. Yeah, but how many of the people who are using, we're talking about English translations here, yeah. right? right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. in many parts of the world, they don't have one. Yeah. Right. So when we go and teach in other parts of the world, we're just like stuck with the one translation they have. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it can be very discouraging um, when you when you are making that point. We've done that in Ethiopia, and all of a sudden our... Uh, classes are starting to look puzzled as the translator's working, and then we have to deal with that because, again, they have one translation, and it's not a good rendering, um, and so you have to kind of deal with that. But So we're dealing with an English version, but the issue is that a lot of people don't ask um, why are they using this Bible? It's just a preference, or it's what they grew up with, or... Sentimentality. Or it's a popular one. I mean, when ESV hit and they were making all those cool things, um, it became like the right one to use. Whether it was or not is a separate issue. It just became the one that all the cool people were using. Well, in Crossway, I mean, the publishers of the ESV, I mean, you have how many different kinds of options yeah. of the ESV Bible to get. And so people yep. want, you know, ones with like neat margins yeah. and note taking, journaling and stuff. Um, I wish some other translations would do that because it too. would push Nasby, their... get yeah. some lines. I, uh, you know what? I, <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah. I love the translation that you just said, but um, they're just incompetent. Yeah. The, so... Yeah, go but ahead. yeah, but but all translation committee committees have an agenda. There's a reason for why they're doing what they're doing. Some reasons are good, some are bad, others just annoying. Um, but nevertheless, there is typically a reason governing why a certain translation has come about. And so, in order to understand some of this, um, I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about something called translation equivalency. Uh, there's well, there's the, an exciting topic. Okay, but yeah. if an atheist comes to you and says, "Yeah, but all those translations, man." You can say, well, translation equivalency, and thus follows every all of this information, right? Sure, yeah. And really perk their interest, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, or just kill it. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So um, when it comes to Bible translation, uh, what you have to understand, I suppose, is that all translations fall within a spectrum. So if yeah. you were to draw a line, um, there's a spectrum here, and all translations are going to be on that what's called equivalency spectrum. Um, and so all the way on the left of the line, um, you have a very um, literal translation. <laughs> What's the word? Uh, wooden. Wooden, yeah. not wooded? No, oh, okay. wooden. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, wooded, a wooded... <laughs> no! <laughs> a wooden literal translation. Uh, another term for this, if you're going to use the technical language, is something called formal equivalency. It's, it's all the way on the left of the equivalency chart. Um, and so this is going to be more of a word-for-word translation. Um, it's also going to work hard at keeping the original structure or the original word order as much as possible. Um, and so strengths of this approach is that it helps to capture metaphors, uh, verbal allusions, um, sometimes some ambiguities that are in the original text. Um, it also helps the reader know the underlying word behind the English word. Uh, for instance, NASB does this. Um, they'll, they'll trans- What's the NASB? New American Standard Bible. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so they'll, My they'll, preferred version. Yeah. Yeah, mine, well, mine oh, Although it's it known away. as the Word of God. <laughs> you gave it away. The, the, uh, okay, not the English 
or elect standard version. Yes. From the no. ESV. Okay. Not the bad one, though. Um, so it, they'll translate a word, for instance, um, in the Greek with the same English translation, same English word, um, just to help readers know that it's the same underlying one. And so it's important for those who, for instance, don't know the original language but are interested in doing a rigorous Bible study. Um, they're going to know what's the underlying word to that. Um, what's important to understand, though, is that all translation implies interpretation. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and anyone who doesn't believe that doesn't understand translation. Or language. Right. Just, at all. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no such thing at all as a, as a translator who doesn't interpret in some sense. Um, by the very <coughs> definition of what you're doing in translation, you're always interpreting at some level because you have to know the meaning of the original and then the meaning of the thing you're trying to translate into. Um, so, but the more formal equivalence you have, the more all the way on the, the left, the more literal or word for word or structure for structure, the more translators are going to leave interpretation then up to the reader, um, which is why this is good for Bible study. So for those who are interested in rigorous Bible study, you're going to want to go with a more rigorous wooden translation. It's also good for the a, a preacher who is actually preaching the text. I mean, if you're going to be a Stephen Furtick, who right. cares, right? I mean, you're going to rip everything out of context. Um, right. In fact, it was interesting. I remember reading uh, Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, mm. horrible church yeah. uh, book. But it was mm -hmm. fascinating how he would use each chapter. He would quote a Bible yeah. verse, and he used every – he used translations. I didn't even know they existed <laughs> because – that translation served the purpose Suited of what him, he was yeah. really trying to do. Yeah. He, he's not interested in dealing with the text or saying, here's actually what the word is saying. He's backing into it by saying, here's my concept. Now let's find a translation that can work with that. And and so the point you made is, is worthwhile. Um, the New American Standard is one that would say, like, the love of Christ constrains me. It doesn't say Christ's love for us constrains us or our love for Christ that's actually an interpretation. <laughs> right. And other interpretations have chosen one of those translations. But really, it literally is just the love of Christ. And now it's up to us to figure out what that means. Yeah. Right. Does it mean our yeah. love for him that yeah. constrains us in our actions or the other way around? And, that, and that's important. And it's very hard when we're preaching, as you know, and you know that people have some other translations out there and you're making your point and you see them looking down, looking puzzled because it's not what their English translation says. It's like, ah. So you first have to undo, which makes it look like you're actually denigrating yeah. exactly. the Bible. And right. So obviously you're hearing... The, I like the formal trans, uh, formal equivalency. Yeah, Ugh, I can't say that. Okay. You say it. My words will yeah. not work. So, so, all that, so to your point though, <laughs> the the further on the left of this this uh, this scale, um, the better for more rigorous Bible study or right, exegesis. Right, right. Uh, if you, if you don't know the Greek or the Hebrew, but you want to do an in-depth word study or structural study or tracing out the particular style of an author's writing. Um, you know, words that he likes to use that are unique to him. Uh, these are going to be your choice. These are the Bibles you're going to want to be with. Uh, they're just better for the more careful Bible reader. Um, what are some weaknesses? Well, at the same time, though, they can be clum clumsy and clunky, right? They're, right. Uh, they're so carefully translated that they don't necessarily read well in the English language. And that that's a struggle, especially if you're not strong on reading yourself. So at that point now you're struggling just with what right. what did Paul just say there? <laughs> yeah. um, I would still argue that that's not a bad thing, but it does 
if you're trying to get persons to read, um, it's hard. I actually have encouraged people to use, if they're just beginning to know the Bible and they're just trying to read it, to use a more simpler uh, version for the reading. But I tell them, when you come to church, bring yeah. uh, bring a good one like the New American Standard, which is what we use. Uh, one, because now you're tracking with exactly what you're saying from your sermons or I'm saying, but also you're also learning to read better, yeah, uh, more formally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. It also can sometimes create an obscurity or an ambiguity uh, because it's trying to keep that that structure that's in the original language uh, present, right? Um, and also, then that works itself out, like with word order. Greek yeah. and Hebrew have different word order than English, yeah. and so when the English tries to do that, it can come across awkward. Um, and again, anyone who's ever had to learn a new language knows what that's like. Yeah. Um, but it, it, those weaknesses, I don't think, cancel out the strengths. They're just, sure. you have to acknowledge that they're there. Yeah. Um, so, so examples of Bibles more on the formal equivalency are going to be your net Bible, which is an excellent translation. I think out of Dallas. Are you using it? I, I use it. I that's my I, I, I haven't started preaching from it because the bulk of the people so at Nasby. <laughs> I actually but. use that for my through the Bible in yeah. a year reading, and I am thoroughly enjoying it because at times you, you're like, okay, I'm tracking. I know I know it in other translations so well, sure. And then other times I'm like, what? And yeah. then I click on the footnotes to see how they're rendering yeah. the Hebrew, and I'm like, oh, I see how they did it, and the whole. And it's very it good, it, but yeah. it's 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 a very very precise translation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the New American Standard, uh, the ESV, um, the Revised English Version. Is, is that, that what REV? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. Um, and then the the King James version. Some as well. people are surprised to hear that the King James is actually more rigorous in mm-hmm. in ways than the New American Standard, but they're. This gets into textual criticism. Right. It's based on a whole different text type. I don't like. Right. right. And yeah. again, that'll be for another podcast sure. when we feel like geeking out again. Sure. Uh, so that's the left. That's formal equivalency. Um, more word for word or structure for structure. Um, then on the right, so we're going to talk extreme right. It, um, the more right you move on this line, the looser your translations become. Um, uh, the terms coined for this are functional equivalency or sometimes dynamic equivalency. Um, so the further right you move on the spectrum, the less word for word you're going to have, and it's going to be actually more thought for thought um, or idea for idea. They're, they're not trying to capture the language so much that the author is using or even the structure or order with which he's writing, but rather convey the idea of the author. And so they're, they're attempting to recreate the author's thought so that the reader can think the author's thought after them. And that's really good if they capture the author's thought. Right, yeah. Not um, so good when they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, so the extreme right are going to be paraphrases almost. Um, so like the message, the message yeah. remix, things Word like that. Word on the street. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> a good are you book. serious? I don't know. Is it? I always oh. hear that. I don't know if it's a joke or a parody. Yeah. Um, so, Nowadays you don't know. So, oh, that's real. Okay. <laughs> So what are some uh, strengths maybe to that? Okay, so it's going to be more natural. Right. Um, it's going to be very smooth. They're going to take all the awkwardness and they're going to smooth it out. Um, it tends to use the modern terms that we'll use. Again, people complain about the King James because it's old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. It's not as old-fashioned as they think, but it is. Um, and then 
the, these kinds are so much more simpler. They also tend to lower the reading age or oh, yeah, grade sure. level down. And so I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, though I sort of do. They dumb it down. They make mm -hmm. it simpler. But there's a place for that. Again, I would, I would even make an argument, having taught broad spectrums of people over the years. Um, but it, it, it's more understandable to the reader. Um, and, and so they're able to comprehend better what the person is trying to say or the committee mm -hmm. is trying to say. Again, the, the rub is yeah. if it's being translated well, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, it'll also seek to remove um, older, as you said, antiquated language and even like Bible-y terms, like, you know, like what the heck's an Ebenezer or a paraclete? You know, if, if you're for the first time picking up a Bible in a hotel room and you come across the word paraclete, I mean, you could Google it, but um, you're not going to know right away what that means. But I, I would argue that they're not going to know what a helper means either sure. or a counselor. I mean, it, it, you, you tell a person a counselor today and they're going to immediately psychologize that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I'm, I agree with you on that I one. know, yeah. I know. I'm talking to the choir here. So, um, just like the weird words. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. The weird Hebrew words. Yeah. But on the other hand, the weaknesses uh, of this, as we said, is all translation implies interpretation. Um, and so the more functional or loose that you make the translation, then the more the interpretation that that translation is going to have in it. Um, and so while it might be more understandable to the reader and, and their comprehension of what they're reading might be a little bit higher, they're simply better comprehending a translator's interpretation of the text, right. not necessarily the text itself. Um, and so just by way of example, I was talking to a pastor once, um, and he was telling me he was preaching from the NLT, the New Living Translation, which is very loose and, I mean, basically a paraphrase. Um, and the reason he gave is because he said that it's more understandable for his people. Um, and so while, while that might be the case, I understand what he's saying, uh, that it might be more understandable. The question the pastor is failing to ask, I think, is what actually is it that's more understandable? Um, is it the meaning of the scripture itself or is it the translator's interpretation of the meaning of scripture? Yeah. And that, that's where the rub is. And so I don't, in the long term, think he's actually helping well, the people. Well, I, I don't know who you're talking about, so let me ask you this. Is his preaching the kind that draws the people to look at the text and pull out the meaning? Or is it more of that folksy, uh, relevant kind of soundbite? It is, but what's funny is I have heard him preach a couple times, and then when he actually tried to do some work in the text, he had to quote a different translation. Oh, that's that's funny. He, and he just says, this one misses it, so then he pulls from like the, well, the ESV I'm, or the... I'm glad the that he did that. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know... Just to give a sense of this, the new the new Living Translation, for instance, can sometimes because all uh, translation implies interpretation, the new the New Living sometimes embarrassingly gets it wrong. I think, um, and so a sense of their philosophy is, and people aren't aware of this if they're picking up a Bible, but it's highly emotive in its language, um, especially with respect to the person of God. They tend to paint him in a, in a certain light that I don't think is true or accurate. Um, I, I think this plays into why sometimes reverence for God is at an all-time low right now. He's not seen as Lord, but as some kind of romantic, you know, lover of your soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the emotive language tends to fall on the side of, of God's graciousness, but not things like his justice. They'll, they'll just change those words and soften those words. And so it's not actually a fair balance or picture and giving, therefore, the people a true biblical view of, of who God is. 
um, the NLT as well. It's Armenian in its bent, which again, if you're an Armenian, that's great for you. Sure. Um, and that's fine, but that's a theological interpretation. It's not a translation. Um, also, the NLT is notorious. This it does it bows the knee to political correctness, and as a result, I think of the feminist movement. Um, it 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 neutralizes all of its pronouns, yeah. so it doesn't talk about him or her. It's just mm. them or people. Uh, so instead of man or men, it will say people, which okay. ig- ignores the fact that God has providentially chosen to write the Bible when He did and within the culture that He did. Um, and so times when actually only men is men and should right, be understood yeah. by the reader and they insert people, it completely strips it of its original meaning and intent. And so it's not helpful. So you're not a fan? I don't like the NLT, no. Um, so while it might be easier to comprehend, um, I, I would submit they're not actually comprehending the fullness of what God has intended, rather they're comprehending a person's interpretation of what God has intended. And so um, while the intentions of those translation committees committees are perhaps good, I'd say they're those extremely functional translations are of little value unless you're dealing with an incredibly illiterate person. And, and let me say that's where I have used them. Um, <clears throat> again, going back when I was in uh, as a jail chaplain preaching to men who had minimal education, yeah. um, I, I found that I could use one of those and then begin to talk to them and, yeah. and get them to begin to read. Yeah. And for many of them, it's the first time they're reading anything. I mean, yeah. literally anything. And so it, that was where it helped me was the gospel's present there. It's not yeah. maybe always rendered. Everything's rendered like I would like, but but I can work with it. I can, yeah, now I can place. build from there. Right. That it, makes sense. You, yeah, you're trying to get them familiar with the big ideas. Right. But, but, never, but never to stay there. Right. Yeah. You're always wanting to then move them. I, I bought countless Bibles for men who are then serving life terms in prison and getting them a good translation. But I'd also given a couple of uh, helps that would help them grow in that. And, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's part of a growth process rather than the end product. Like I, I would never do that as a pastor. I, I couldn't before the Lord say, I want to preach your word, but then I'm going to preach a paraphrase of your word. Right. Yeah. yeah. Especially if we believe in fancy term, plenary verbal inspiration, that sure. every word is inspired and even the structure of the text is yeah. inspired. Yes. Um, and language. so, yeah. So the further you get from that, the further you get from what God has delivered to us. Um, so examples of this, uh, the message that's going to be extreme right on the spectrum, the living Bible. Which is what I grew up with. Did you? Yeah. Well, that was cool in the 70s. The message? Every, no, the living oh, Bible. Um, and it was, it was openly admitted. It was a, a paraphrase from the English. So it was definitely far removed from the text, but it was very popular. Um, and I read it because all cool kids, but it actually got into, it had nothing to do with the Bible. It was, that's what all the cool people were using. So you all got yourself a living Bible, Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a good translation because it wasn't a translation. Yeah. Um, contemporary English version, the good news translation, the new living translation. Uh, those are all more on, on the right side of the spectrum. Um, but then in the middle of the spectrum, you have translations that seek to try and strike a balance. Um, so this is going to be like the NIV, uh, New New International Version, today's NIV, the TNIV, uh, the New Jerusalem Bible, New Century Version, um, the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and that one's actually about halfway between the middle and 
and the left. So. Did you know that they actually, in their original uh, translation, they were translating Yahweh? Were they? Yeah, not all the time. And so somewhere along the line, they, um, I looked it up to just understand wh why they chose to get rid of it. The, because they only use it like six or 700 times out of 6,000 times at Yahweh, they felt that it was not consistent and that people found it to be hard. And I'm like, so? I mean, they, yeah, they, they, I bet you they didn't uh, change the name Belteshazzar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who's pronouncing that Mahalo. one casually, right? Uh, it's, yeah. it's like, you know what? Why don't you learn about the actual name of God that he gives himself, Yahweh? Yeah. I was so happy they did it, yeah. and then they reverted back. But they also did, uh, they also bowed to expediency with like the word um, for tongues, which actually means language, right. and mm -hmm. it should be translated language. Well, they translate it as languages, and then they decide, well, no, we're going to go back to tongues, which means nothing, they said, so that we don't look like we have a theological bent. And I'm like, um, by doing that, you're showing a theological yeah. bent. And very frustrating. But yeah, I yeah. know they tried to strike it. It's a good translation overall, but I don't know if I can forgive them. <laughs> it's just like, man, <laughs> they came so angry, close huh? <laughs> to moving people toward using the name of Yahweh, yeah. but then they, they got scared. Yeah. So, so these ones in the middle of the, the spectrum, uh, I think these are good for simple Bible reading, um, you know, kind of just familiarizing people with the, the biblical story and those kinds of things. They, they, they tend to remove, though, important words for, for good Bible study, words like therefore, for, so that. We're talking um, about NIV, aren't we? Yeah, uh, although they put in, um, they put back in some therefores in the TNIV, the 2011 version, but only some. Um, some of these still have theological presuppositions. Um, some also tend to still translate with neutral pronouns, again, stripping the meaning of the intended audience of certain passages. And so overall, they're okay for basic Bible reading if you're going to familiarize with the scripture, uh, sure. yourself with the scriptures, but that's where those ones land. So um, some conclusions on this. Um, for all the reasons we stated, I can't say there's a best translation, but depending on what you're trying to do, there's probably a, a better translation. Um, you know, so for serious Bible students, you want you want more of a formal equivalency like the NET or the NASB. Um, for unbelievers or new Christians, maybe somewhere in the middle would be fine, uh, simply for the purpose of readability, TNIB, Holman Christian Standard, even though apparently it angers you. Well... Um, <laughs> It's still a, a solid translation. It just annoys me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the politics of translation is, is really what annoys me. It really is frustrating because it is run by a committee, which there's tremendous strength in. But again... Some of the, it's driven by numbers. I was going to say, at Absolutely. the very core of it, it's yeah. money. And that's sales, the one that bothers sales. me yep. the most is that we're no longer translating the Word of God because it's the Word of God. Mm -hmm. We're doing it and we're trying to market it to the largest number of people to make the largest amount of money. And it's like, now they would say, no, 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 the largest number of people to have the largest impact. But somehow they still manage to charge money for that. A lot of money. Um, if you want goat skin. Right. Or... <laughs> French, Moroccan, yes. whatever. Um, so as we're talking, though, the more that your, your knowledge in the scriptures grow and the more you're um, acquainted with the scriptures, the more that you should be moving toward the left on the equivalency spectrum. Um, the assumption there, of course, is that you're wanting 
to do a slower, more detailed study of the scriptures, though. If you're just going to keep doing flyby readings, um, then I don't know how valuable that's going to be for you. But um, you're going to want a translation that's less reflective of the translator's interpretation and theological bends. Um, and so the less interpretation, um, you know, the more you're free to pursue your own study of the text, of course. What's another one? Well, if you're going to be an expositional preacher or teacher, then you're going to have to stay on the left side of that spectrum uh, because you're actually trying to say, here's what the Word of God says, here's how it's put together, and here's why it's worded the way it is. If you want to do topical, feel good, relevant, whatever you, you know, the kind of the way we see things nowadays in so many of the churches, what you're using, frankly, doesn't matter because you don't even care if they're looking down at their Bibles or if they even brought one. You can use a movie. Yeah, because, you, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, sure, you can just use at the movies, right? But, I mean, at best, they're just going to flash up the scripture on a PowerPoint. and But what they're saying almost has no bearing upon that. They're not going to say, now look at it. Notice what he says. Right. Um, they've got some different point to be made. So the more you want to be an expositor, the more you want to teach people actually to be looking down at their text, then you're going to want that kind of a Bible and you're going to want your people to have it. So that's yeah. why at our church, we stock the New American Standard in the pew so that even when you're a visitor, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab that one. And at least they may say, well, that's kind of clumsy, though I don't think they most people would. The one thing they can do is track exactly with our point because it's our translation that yeah. we're using in the pulpit. Yeah. Um, you don't want people to just assume you're right. You want them to look at the text. Yeah, wrestle with it. Um, and and you, they want to see you actually work out the text in front of them. Um, if they don't care, then there's a d bigger problem going on right. um, yeah. with their own heart and or, or their own thinking about what the pastor is supposed to be doing. But whenever you're driven by the meaning of the text, then you're going to be concerned with the, the kind of translation uh, because you have to point out key words. Um, the ones that you just said, whenever I teach a Bible study, I'll say, so what do you think is a key word there? And they're throwing out every word, every, I mean, every word. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Jesus. And, well, and, and, they're, and they're looking, they're like, there's no more words. I'm like, there is a word. And then they're like, in? And I'm like, yes. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, oh, come on. And then we show why it's so yeah. important. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, that's kind of, and everyone, I'm like starting to make notes in their margin. I'm like, yes, they're, they're getting it, that we, we want to see these big words, but it's those little ones that so often the translation drops out that is what carries the meaning and the logic uh, of the point. So that's why you want to do it. Um, a faithful preacher wants the people to be looking down. And, and it does my heart good when I, I say notice and they look down. Um, rather than just stare at me. In fact, I have a few people I've actually gone and spoken to over the years and say, whenever I say notice, I, I don't see you looking down. Is there a reason? Oh, I trust you. I'm like, don't. Don't trust me. Look. Yeah. Um, and see. Yeah. You should never believe a preacher unless he can prove it from the text. Yep. Right. Um, so just a tip uh, for basic Bible reading plans, um, we'd recommend changing up your version that you use, if let's say you're doing through the Bible in a year, uh, each year maybe pick a different version. Um, yeah, nowadays with the internet and the uh, online Bibles, that's so easy. Yeah, yeah. And they even have comparative versions, so you can have like three up at once or something like that. 
Um, and again, that's going to determine where you're at right now in your, your Bible knowledge. If you're newer to the faith, um, maybe stay somewhere in the middle of the spectrum for the first year or two. Uh, but as your Bible knowledge grows, begin to move further to the left and, and even use different translations in the left side of that spectrum. Um, the, the more that you're going to become skilled with the scriptures and the more you're going to be training your eyes to read the Bible a certain way. Um, and so you can actually read these more, quote, rigid translations, but you're actually going to read them quicker and get more out of them. You're going to read them with accuracy. Yeah, as your skill right, develops. Right, right. So we talk often. Um, we, can, we can look at a text now. It, I mean, just plop your Bible open and almost immediately diagram it. Right. Right, right in your mind. Um, but if I'm reading through the NLT or sometimes even the, the NIV, I don't actually have confidence that what I'm diagramming is correct. That's right. <laughs> because they have decided what all of those prepositional phrases are saying and how they're functioning. Uh, they're choosing whether or not it's an and or there is even the word and. Yeah. Um, they're, they're doing so much interpreting for they're, you. They're determining, for instance, what a prepositional phrase is modifying. Right. And they might be modifying the wrong verb. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would say beyond all this, um, the ultimate conclusion for serious students, um, and you can do it now with just technology, is to skip it all <laughs> if you have the time and ability and just learn Greek or Hebrew. Uh, learn grammar. Oh, that, now we're getting them <laughs> clicking off. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, but there is a wealth of, of value in the original languages because it does force you to slow down, right? You've learned Greek. Um, at some level. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But when you learned it, did it, it change completely how you read your Bible a bit? Yes. Yeah. I mean, your, your eyes are trained to look for prepositions. They're right. trained to look for the main verb. Purpose. All, yeah. Purpose, results, those kinds of things. Um, and this is especially true, as you've been saying, for those who desire to preach and teach um, well. And In fact, again, going back, because we have a prior episode that we're going to be publishing on church planting as the church planter as a theologian. But one of the things we say is for our church, if we're going to actually send out a planter ourselves, they have to be trained in the languages. They have yeah, to. Absolutely. Uh, we, we're just not going to give on that one. Yep. Yeah. You got to be able to handle the scriptures. Um, if you're really interested in this topic, maybe you're not, um, but there's a good book out there. It's written for people who don't know the languages, um, but it's called How to Choose a Translation for All It's Worth. I don't agree with every aspect of it, but overall, it's very good. Yep. It's by Gordon Fee and Mark Strauss, and so that would be some recommended reading. Um, there's an excellent quote from Luther. Uh, when I taught Greek, I always opened it up with this um, quote because I, I think it's so true and to help get the students ready for why they're going to about spend a year uh, hating life. Um, <laughs> um, but he says this, it's, he writes, in proportion then, this is Martin Luther, in proportion then as we value the gospel, let us zealously hold to the languages. For it was not without purpose that God caused his scriptures to be set down in these two languages alone, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. Now, if God did not despise them, but chose them above all others for his word, then we too ought to honor them above all other, others. We will not long preserve the gospel without the languages. That's a big statement. We will not long preserve the gospel without the languages. The languages are the sheath in which the sword of the spirit is contained. They are the casket in which the jewel is enshrined. They are the vessel in which the wine is held. They are the larder in which the food is stored. And as the gospel itself points out, they are the baskets in which are kept these loaves and fishes and fragments. For this reason, even the apostles themselves considered it necessary to set down the New Testament and hold it fast in the Greek language. Doubtless, in order to preserve it for us, they're safe and sound as in a sacred ark. 
For they foresaw all that was to come and now has come to pass. They knew that if it was left exclusively to men's memory, wild and fearful disorder and confusion and a host of varied interpretations, fancies, and doctrines would arise in the Christian church and that this could not be prevented and the simple folk protected unless the New Testament were set down with certainty in written language. Therefore, it is inevitable that unless the languages remain, the gospel must finally perish. (music) 